right. Good to see you. Good to be back in sort of a routine, isn't it, after all of the holidays and all of the different places we've been. It's good to see you here. It's good to have visitors here. And we trust in God to just use this time to instruct us in his word. So take your Bible, that's our textbook, and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're in a series called Be Rich, the riches we have through Christ, and we are looking today at living the Lordship of Christ, living the Lordship of Christ. When He's the Lord of our life and we obey Him and do what He instructs us to do, then there's going to be bless. there will be blessings on our life and we'll bring Him more honor and more glory. So we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 as we go through this lesson, Ephesians chapter 6, living the Lordship of Christ. A man and his wife was watching television, and they were watching a lot of the young people who were really uh, doing things they shouldn't have been doing. They were uh, all but rioting and tearing things up, doing all of that, and So the man looked over at his wife and he said, Honey, what in the world did we do wrong? And she simply said, We had children. (laughs) So sometimes you feel that way. Children are a blessing from God, I understand. But uh, we can uh, have children that are rebellious, and if we don't raise those children properly, then we can run into some problems with them. Uh, Of course, Adam and Eve had a pretty good environment. One of those really didn't do too good. You can't always blame it on the parents. But a lot of times it is, uh, it is, has something to do with the parents. And so let's look, first of all, at Christian children. Verses 1 through 3 deal with that. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. There's a lot there in those three verses. He gives at least four reasons that they should obey their parents, at least four. And remember that probably when this was read to the church at Ephesus, there were children present listening to the epistle be read. And so... Uh, It is for children to hear and to know. In verse 1, the first part, we notice that he's talking about children primarily that are Christians. Children, and that doesn't mean it doesn't apply to others, but specifically as Christians, we have that obligation. Children, obey your parents how? In the Lord. It implies that mom and dad is saved. It implies that the child may be saved or has been instructed in a Christian environment. They are Christians. You know, Christian homes and Christian children make better children according to the Word of God. Colossians 3.20, just a repeat of the same principle. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Now, some of you may be saying, well, wait a minute, you're teaching senior citizens. And what does that have to do with this? Because grandparents can interfere with parents doing the right thing 
and disciplining their children and doing what they ought to do. So it's probably a good reminder for us to understand that we ought to encourage them to do what the Bible says, right? It's so easy to want to spoil your grandchildren, right? Some of you. <laughs> we just got back from seeing our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and all that sort of thing. And we had a great time. I sure was glad to be home, I want to tell you. But, uh, but there's a responsibility. And uh, these children need to be taught these things. Obey your parents and the Lord. In all things, not just a few. For this is well-pleasing unto the grandparents. No, unto God. It's well-pleasing unto the Lord. And so uh, that makes a better child. Submission is a good word, isn't it? Biblical submission. So it's talking about husbands, or wives rather, uh, to their husbands, submit yourself unto them as unto Christ. That's good. And then it talks about the husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a different kind of submission, but it's submission. And then the third thing is children, obey your parents in the Lord. So if you have a husband that's being submissive to the Lord's will and a wife that is and a child that is, you're probably going to have harmony in that home. But any violation of that, it probably won't be that way. Secondly, obedience is simply right. And that's the second part of that verse. Obey your parents and the Lord for this is what? It's right. It's not to be argued or philosophized. It's to know that the Bible says it's right. And that, that ought to settle it for anybody to know that it is right. Now, one of the reasons, I think, is because parents have lived longer than the children, and we've experienced a whole lot more, and even grandparents, we've experienced even more than some of them. So parents that are older and grandparents should know more, right? We should know more via our experiences and by observations and all of those things. And so here's a modern version of Ephesians 6, 1. This is what's practiced more than the real Ephesians 6.1. It's a modern version. Parents, obey your children. For this will keep them happy and bring peace to the home. That's not true. That's not biblical. And that does not work. That is not true. So you have the fact that they're Christian children. And obedience is right. And then obedience is commanded. It's not, a, it's not just some casual uh, wishful thinking on the part of God. It is an imperative, a divine imperative, a command. It's a fifth command. Uh, 2A, he says, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment, and it's the one with promise. So the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments reads the same way, Exodus 20 in verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother, and underscore that word honor. Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land and the Lord thy God, uh, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So the law he's talking about reveals God's holiness even in the Old Testament. It's not something that we're bound to, today under the law. Uh, 
like the Jews were as such. Um, Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, we know that the law is given in the Old Testament primarily to the Jews, but in the New Testament, we're not under that same kind of exact law application. Now, let me state that before you uh, think I'm wrong on this, that all of these commandments except one have been repeated in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, uh, they have been amplified. And you've heard that, you know, thou shalt not kill. He said, well, if you hate somebody to a certain degree, you hate them, then you're guilty of murder. In the same way with adultery, thou shalt not commit adultery. But then in the New Testament, he that looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already with her in his heart. So it amplifies what was there. But we're not under the law for justification. Uh, Jesus took care of that on the cross. But all of these laws are repeated except remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So it's just as wrong for New Testament saints as it was for Old Testament Jews to disobey God in this principle. The word honor there in, in Exodus twenty twelve, honor thy father and thy mother. Uh, I think that's a great admonition, but it's not always obeyed. It doesn't just say to the children, obey your parents, but it says honor your father and your mother. I think that means be available to them as long as they live and as long as uh, they need help. Honor them as long as they need us. And then show respect. Show love to them as long as they live. I pastored 50 years. I went to a lot of nursing homes. Visited a lot of people. Some members of the church. Some are not. Just people in the rooms or people I'd want to talk to in the hall. And I found that a lot of those people, God bless them, were, were not being loved and treated right by their children and their relatives. They were just left out there by themselves to hang by themselves. Uh, to, to, they, they were just lonely. Nobody was visiting them. Nobody was caring about them. Now, I know some would complain, and that wasn't really the case. But there were a lot of them that was obviously the case. And I think when he says, honor thy father and thy mother, he's talking to all of us, talking to children especially. I think he's talking about be available as long as they need us and show respect. Now, you can't, you've got to leave and cleave. You can't let them run your life. You've got to leave and cleave when you get married. You can't let them run your life. But that doesn't mean you'd uh, put them out, neglect them, and not care about them. That is biblically wrong I think so show respect and love as long as they live number four obedience brings blessings this is if children obey uh, their parents in the Lord the latter part of verse two and the first part of verse three honor thy father and thy mother which is the first commandment with promise notice that it has a promise to it that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Two things that he's talking about here. Two blessings. Number one, 
he's saying things will go well. In fact, the Greek word means things will go good. That particular word, things will go good. They will go much better for you and for our children, grandchildren, if they obey their parents. You see, sin robs, but obedience enriches in the family, in that relationship. Sin robs, and so things will go much better. We say things go better with coke. Things go better with obedience, and especially the children. So again, getting back to grandparents and, and those who might be sucked into this uh, wrong philosophy of today's teaching by psychologists and some non-Christian psychiatrists and all needs to be looked at. Things will go better. And then he promises, secondly, longevity. Longevity. And so people say, well, you, you were determined, it was determined before you were ever born when you were going to die, and you can't change that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you honor your father and mother, God can extend your years and give you longevity. And so there are a lot of things. I mean, you know, you, you can do certain things <clears throat> like partaking of the Lord's Supper unworthily. And the Bible says it can make some sick and even cause them to die. So I have a problem with people that say it's all pointed. One day you're going to die that day. Now, God does know and God is uh, a sovereign God. But there are some things we can do or not do. One of those is that the children, if you don't teach your grandchildren and, and children this principle to go by, then it could mean that the longevity of their life would be affected, problems that shorten life. And when, when people disobey parents, when children disobey teenagers, for instance, and the parents say, do not fool with drugs, and they disobey their parent. And they go out and get in drugs, and next thing you know, they're hooked. And the next thing you know, they're dead. And uh, so it all works together. If they'll obey their parents like they should, then they won't do those things that they shouldn't do, like drinking and drugs and premarital sex and all those other things. And they'll be blessed because of it. Disobedience. Here's the thing. Children, when they disobey, and you allow them to disobey, that is uh, disobedience against God. It is disobeying God. Rebellion against God. Romans 1, 28 through 30. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, this is not a good group here, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Notice that, reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient, which they shouldn't be doing. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, that's premarital, extramarital, sexual relationship, and it involves pornography, all of that. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. That doesn't sound too good, does it? But what's the next phrase? Disobedient to parents. That is in the same category with murderers, haters, backbiters, fornicators, so on and so forth. So it is important, isn't it? And it is important to understand how God really looks at it. 
the Duke of Windsor, Windsor years ago came to America and he said, everything in America is controlled by a switch except the children. That's where that, you've heard that statement before, but that's where it originated and became popular. David pampered Absalom and he paid for it. Eli let his sons, Eli was a priest, he let them get away with uh, fornicating and so on and so forth, even though they were in the ministry, so to speak, if we'd put it in modern day terms. And Hophni and Phinehas, uh, God took care of them, and then he took care of Eli, but he pampered his children. And so we have to understand there's some biblical uh, illustrations of how that can really backfire. So that's the first part, Christian children. Number two, Christian fathers. Christian fathers. Uh, chapter 6, verses, uh, verse 4. Now he goes from the children, then he's giving the admonition. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So the lordship, the children, doing what God said. And now he comes to the fathers. And he says, first of all in this verse, that he must not provoke them. He must not provoke them. That doesn't mean you let them get away with sulking and all that kind of stuff. That's not what that's talking about. But you must not provoke them. You can go too far. You can provoke. You can not have the balance. And we'll go through some of the rest of it. And that, that will make more sense. In the Roman culture, it was a strange thing. When a child was born, the father could say, I don't want that child. And they would give it away or they would have that child killed. But if the father picked the child up, he was saying, I accept the child. And that was just their culture. That's just the way it was. It, it's sort of in the category of abortion, right? Let's move on. But uh, anyway... The Roman culture was that way. So, sometimes children were abused. Uh, one of our ladies was just giving me some material. and She's working with abuse of, uh, of uh, children and many of the other things that go along with that. She is here. And I want to read over that literature, and I'm glad she's involved with that. We shouldn't, children should not be abused. Uh, so... Don't use your authority to abuse a child. Look at your note. Don't use your authority to abuse a child. And uh, I have seen that. Uh, I just throw this in. It's really gross. But I was talking to a woman once, my wife and I, and uh, her children, her daughter especially, had burns. And come to find out she was using a hot iron to make her mind. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Abuse. And, of course, we, uh, we had to take it to the authorities, and that got corrected as much as was possible. But don't abuse your children, and don't let your, uh, if you can help it, uh, let your children abuse their children. If you know about that, do something about it. Colossians tells us we ought to encourage the children and build them up. And you may have to look pretty hard to find something to say to compliment them, you know. You know the, the, the pants are on the floor and the socks are on the floor and, and uh, all that kind of thing. And everything's uh, in disarray. But you can find something to compliment them for and you can encourage them. Too many times parents just see the negative. They don't see the positive and that's not a good thing. 
And so he says, fathers, in Colossians 3.21, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be what? Discouraged. Don't provoke them to anger, lest they be discouraged. Always blaming them, never praising them. It's all right to praise your grandchildren. It's all right to praise your children, to encourage them. That goes a long ways, and uh, so many times it's neglected. I used to uh, try to find things to praise my children for. And uh, my children, my family was always important to me in the ministry. And I would say to my secretaries over those years, any family member that calls, you buzz me, I'll take the call. I wasn't going to neglect them. I loved them, and I wanted to talk to them. I wanted them to know that Dad was there to encourage them. And that's the way we, we handled that. And uh, if I were going to discipline my child, I wouldn't do it out of anger. We'll mention that in a minute. But I would, I would be displeased. I would sit them down and explain. Now, I want to tell you, I try to get a Bible principle. And then I want to tell you why you're fixing to be disciplined. And then I would discipline them. With what? A belt. That's what this cushion back here is for. Or, or maybe a, a little board or something. God designed the body well. Your derriere is, is very good. It works good. And so um, it isn't going to kill them. It isn't going to hurt them. They'll, they'll scream like it's killing them, but it is not going to hurt them. And uh, I remember one time getting expelled from school. Confession is good for the soul. Another boy and I jumped out of a window and got ahead of the line for the lunch, and some squirt dauber turned us in. So we went. We had a redheaded six foot four uh, principal of our school. He also coached football. He brought me and another guy in, and he said, "You want expelled or three licks?" He had a paddle with three holes in it, and when he hit, if you flinched, if he did that and you flinched, he'd add a lick. So you'd have to bend over, touch your toes. And son, he could, he could lay it on. So he asked my buddy, he said, I'll take the licks. He asked me, I said, I'm going home. I said, expel me. So I went home. Mama gave me a whipping. I went back, and he added a lick, and I got another whipping. I said, I'll never do that again. <laughs> that helped me a long ways. And that's a true story. But at any rate, uh, a whipping isn't going to kill him. It didn't kill me. I needed it. And should have had it, and I was a better boy after I got it, especially from that that principle. And uh, but we we uh, if we're going to discipline, there's a way to do it. Then he must nurture them. Uh, the middle part of that, he says, provoke them not to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Uh, the word nurture simply that's what he's talking about. Bring them up. Bringing them up is not just physically. Meeting their needs for food and clothing and a place to sleep. That's part of bringing them up and getting them an education, all of that. But we're to bring them up emotionally and spiritually. Spiritually. It's just as important to provide for their spirituality, to bring them up spiritually as it is all these other things. Sports and all of these hobbies they have and all the other things. Spiritually. To bring them up. Jesus was brought up that way. Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom. That's hard for us to understand that. But he was as much God as man. As much man as God. 
And so that's what the Bible says. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So balanced growth (coughs) is part of it intellectually, physically, and then socially, which sometimes we forget, and then spiritually. We have to bring them up. I want to point this out. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible is the training of children assigned to agencies, listen now, outside of the home. Nowhere in the Bible is the training of children assigned to agencies. It's not the Christian school. It's it's not the uh, other uh, organizations that are out there. But it is... It's not the Sunday school teacher or the church's job to teach them all on Sunday. To help, yes. To back it up, yes. But it is the responsibility of mothers and daddies or whoever their guardians and caretakers. Sometimes that's grandparents. It is uh, important for them to uh, teach them. That's the main place. That's where it should be done. And God looks to parents. And then he must discipline them. Again, that word nurture means learning through discipline. That's what it really is talking about. Uh, nurture, t- discipline is involved. Now, nowadays, some psychologists and educators, not all, but some, oppose the old-fashioned idea. You know, there's a lot of good old-fashioned stuff. They all like cornbread and beans. But the old-fashioned idea of discipline Let the children express themselves is what they're saying today. Let them express themselves. If they don't want to pay attention to the teacher, let them go there and stare at the goldfish in the aquarium. They want to do it for two hours, let them do it for two hours. You remember education went that way about 20 years ago? And we're reaping all of that right now. We're one of the uh, more inferior uh, countries now in education than other countries. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is the old-fashioned idea of discipline has sort of gone out the window. And they, they say uh, that uh, discipline will warp their character. Well, man, I ought to be a warped character, I want to tell you. Uh, discipline does not warp their character. If it's done in love, done biblically, uh, it's, it's, it is a basic principle of life. Discipline, And it is also evidence of love. You say, discipline, evidence of love? Yes. Listen to the Bible. Hebrews 12, 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Have you ever been chastened by God? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I expect everybody in here, if you're honest, would raise your hand. Whom the Lord loveth, loves you, he chastens and scourgeth everyone whom he receiveth. Proverbs thirteen twenty four. I wish all young couples would put this in their bedroom or somewhere. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. That's pretty strong. He that spareth the rod hateth his son or his child, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. Man, I knew my mama loved me. There was nothing for her to grab a peace tree sapling and wear me out. And I was so glad if she didn't tell daddy. But 
He that spareth his rod hateth his son. Now the word hate there, it's a Greek word, if I'm pronouncing it right, sone. And it means, it's sort of like treating him like an enemy. It's sort of like you treat an enemy. In other words, it's just not fair uh, to them and you're treating them wrongly if you don't use the rod. And the rod's not going to hurt them if it's done right. Now I, I know, I know there's some cases uh, where that's not good and it's done out of anger. I was chopping cotton with a good friend of mine one time. <laughs> this family had about 14 kids and Buddy Bradshaw and I we went to church together. So I was with him one day and we were chopping cotton and uh, I guess we were talking too much and his daddy wasn't real pleased and he came out and grabbed one of the hoes and he just beat his son over the back with that hoe handle and I mean, I was like, oh man, uh, you better not come to me, I'll hit you. But anyway, he was, uh, he really, I mean, he, he brought blood, I thought, and he did it out of anger. I thought, that's wrong. And by the way, his son left and joined the army right after that. And uh, they never had the best relationship. But uh, uh, that's, not the, that's not what God is saying. That's not what he wants us to do. But we need to discipline. Then discipline in the right way. Love versus anger. Uh, you can injure the body and you can injure the spirit. Flying off the handle never made a better child or parent. Just doesn't. You can get angry, but you've got to keep that under the godly control of the Holy Spirit. Build protective walls until he or she takes care can take care of themselves. A wayward girl said, I've never knew how far I could go because my parents never cared enough to discipline me. If it's not important to them, she said, why should it be important to me? They didn't care enough to discipline her. She, she went wayward. Then D in your outline, he must instruct and encourage him. Instruct and encourage him. The middle part of that, bring them up in the nurture and admonition. Admonition is, a, is an important word. Uh, admonition is uh, action, but it also, your action, the way you live, but also the words you say. You have to speak up. You have to open your mouth. Admonition, words. Uh, they may not appreciate the words, but you have an obligation to give those words out. You have to do it. Instruction should be tied to the Bible. I think that's important. Second Timothy 3.15, And from a child, Paul saying to Timothy, From a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. And try to give the scriptural basis for it. Home is the main place to learn. So you have Christian children, Christian fathers, and then Christian servants, verses 5 through 8. Christian slaves was what they were talking about them. Today he's talking about em employers and employees in that relationship. So back then they had approximately 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. By the way, Paul did not and I know this is touchy ground here, but Paul did not try to overthrow the Roman government. That was not his main task. And I believe if he was living today, he'd probably, he'd probably vote whatever his conscience would lead him to, to vote. But uh, his job was preaching the gospel, right? 
You don't ever see him doing this other. You don't ever see him having an insurrection or doing any of these things. He preached the gospel. But here's the thing. Ultimately, the preaching of the gospel overthrew all of these things, including slavery in the Roman Empire. It led to the overthrow even of the government that was a, a horrible government. The preaching of Wesley and Whitfield, uh, some of the results of the preaching of the Word of God was abolition of slavery, abolition of uh, child labor that was wrong, and the care of the needy. And by the way, ladies, you ought to thank God for Jesus that he has elevated women like no other thing could have done. Back in the Roman Empire, the women were just property, just chattel with no voice whatsoever. Then A, Paul admonished the servants to obey. And why did he admonish, why did he admonish them to obey? Well, they were really serving Christ. Look at verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them as your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart. How? As unto whom? The boss? No. As unto Christ. As unto Christ. Verse 9, the same thing is there. So you have the Christian employee and employer. If they're Christians, they ought to help each other. They ought to not be antagonistic against each other. Verse 6 is talking about don't do it just for eye service. Not with eye service as men pleasers. You're there to please God. Not just your boss or those that are around you. Now you may want to please them. But it's not just eye service. Doing a good job is the will of God. Verse 6 is very clear about that. We're to do it from the heart, verse 6 says. We're to do it serving. We are serving God. And that's what he's saying. Uh, with goodwill, verse 7, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. Thank God for your job. Do it for the Lord. Don't do it just to please your boss and all of those. Uh, you want to do that if you can, but that's not the... You, you, if, if they're not pleased and they don't treat you right, then you'll get mad and you'll hate your job and you'll be angry. No, if you do it as unto the Lord, you know God's put you there, then that's the best thing. Christian work is sacred. The Christian worker and the Christian work is not secular. It's sacred. And the Lord will reward them. Verse 8, he says that, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall be he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. God's going to honor that, and God will bless that. And then very quickly, lastly, uh, Roman numeral 4, Christian masters. <clears throat> Verse 9, he's talking about that <clears throat> very clearly in that verse. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, not a good tactic, knowing that your master also in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So a couple of things here that that we have to see in this in, in just a short time. But harmony is not achieved by erasing. Pay attention to this statement if you can, if you can go through it. <clears throat> harmony is not achieved by erasing social or cultural differences. Social or cultural differences. Workers are still workers and bosses are still bosses. And you, you shouldn't say, well, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, so I'm going to skip three or four days, and since you're my Christian buddy and you're the boss, you just overlook it. 
that's sort of putting it in a nutshell, okay? Both should be seeking to please God. What are the employer's responsibilities? He's got to seek their welfare. That's in the first part. Masters do the same thing unto them. You want done unto you. If you expect the best for your workers, then then you uh, do your best for them. Let them know that they're appreciated. My son runs a whole plant, and I we talk a lot, and I'm thankful that he does that for his workers. And sometimes he'll get them all together, and, and he'll cook the steaks for them and all that, and they appreciate it, and they let him know that and some other things. And so that's a good relationship. Boaz in Ruth 2.4, uh, and he was speaking to his workers, and notice what he said. And he was a man, a boss. I mean, he was way up there and had a great place of harvest. And he said, the Lord be with you, talking to the reapers, the workers. The Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. Isn't that a good relationship for boss and worker? And and that'll work in a church staff. It'll work in other places. And then B, he must not threaten. 9B, I'm running over. I gotta, I'm going to hit this fast. The negative power of fear. Uh, if, you, if you use fear, the workers are going to do less. Uh, be positive. Colossians 4.1, Master is given to your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Don't forget that. Let the workers share the results of their hard work. Let them benefit from their hard work. See, he must be submitted to the Lord. Submitted to the Lord. There we're getting back to the Lordship of Christ. If you want to be a leader, the Bible says be a servant. Servant leadership. If you want to be a leader, be a servant. Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Nehemiah were all servant leaders. Here's an old African proverb, and it's so true. The chief is servant of all. That'll work. Then D, he must not play favorites. God is no respecter of persons. A lot of Christian movements and organizations and so on and so forth, they are respective persons. But if a master or servant sins, God's going to judge either one of them. He's not a respective person. And let me say this. The fastest way for a leader to divide his followers is to play favorite. Play favorites. And that is backed up in the Bible. First uh, Timothy Five twenty one. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, the elect angels, that thou observe these things without preferring one another, one before another, doing nothing by partiality. That's the wrong thing to do. As Christians, we're to walk in harmony. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're joyful. We are indeed thankful and submissive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The result, harmony. It, it's a matter of of living what God said, the Lordship of Christ. You're dismissed. God bless you.